2: make it kind
1: make it kind m-i-p with my mark thompson
0: make it kind get woke
1: joining us now ladies and gentlemen it's an honor to have with us the majority whip of the united states house of representatives joining us from south carolina the gentleman from south carolina congressman james Clyburn. sir good morning to you how are you and how are you holding up man
2: well i'm doing good thank you so much for asking uh Things are going pretty good here. Uh, South Carolina is as anxious as the other states, and uh, I'm as anxious as other uh, Americans as to what we're going through now. Uh, these are the kinds of things uh, we spent a lot of time reading about, studying about, reflecting upon, but very few of us uh, have seen anything like this, if anybody. Uh, I suspect the last time the country has been in a place like this, is probably the Great Depression. Mm. Now, I do remember getting over some of that. Uh, A lot of people are amazed these days when I tell them, I remember as a child. um, I was born, of course, in 1940, uh, which means this is my 80th year come July 21st. But I remember those little red ration stamps uh, that... uh, Our moms were sent us to the store with back in the uh, early 40s, uh, coming out of World War II. Uh, And, of course, that had to do with not just the war, but we were also coming off of the uh, uh, aftermath of the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. And I tell people that that's the thing we have to be very careful about at this particular juncture. I made a comment some time ago that Mitch used in a negative way Uh, as he was making his speech on the floor. He said that um, I uh, was uh, this uh, opportunity as a chance for us to reshape or restructure things. What I was talking about, and I still stand by that, is that when we came out of the Great Depression, everybody gives Franklin Roosevelt a tremendous amount of credit Overcome the Great Depression. And that's true, except that everybody did not recover. I represent communities right now that are still suffering from the aftermath of the Great Depression. When those programs came south, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Work Project um, uh, Administration, these were programs designed to infuse the economy, put people back to work, doing public works projects. But it happens that in the South, those programs had a little tag hung on them, quite only. So a lot of places in the North, uh, and even in the parts of the Midwest, they were stood back up. But in African-American communities throughout the South, because Franklin Roosevelt, allowed Strom Thurmond and others to impose their structure of white only structure on these black communities, they did not get the benefits of the recovery from the Great Depression. And so what I was talking about is the same thing I talked about when I sat down with Barack Obama and the House and Senate leaders, Mitch McConnell was in the room. When I made the statement back in 2008, November 2008, right after Barack Obama had been elected president, he had gone out to Hawaii for his rest and relaxation period and had come back to Washington, met with the House and Senate uh, leadership. And I happened to have just been elected uh, two years earlier House Majority Whip the first time. I told them in the meeting that I did not count among my favorite presidents, Franklin Roosevelt, like most Democrats do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I told them that my favorite president just happened to have been Harry Truman at the time. And I said to Barack Obama, who at that time was President-elect, I said, now, Mr. President-elect, you can do something about that going forward. But as of right now, My favorite president uh, is probably Harry Truman because of his fair deal rather than the New Deal. The New Deal of Franklin Roosevelt, I said to them, was a raw deal for a lot of the communities that I represent. And you go down to these rural communities in South Carolina right now, these low-income, rural, black communities are suffering. And they are suffering simply because Of the structure that was put in place after the the Great Depression that we're still uh, suffering from now and Mm -hmm. so what I was saying in that in that conference call we can restructure things uh, to uh, fit our vision of making America's greatness accessible and affordable for all Americans now I just saw a TV program this morning talking about what this opportunity will be for us to restructure things so that rural hospitals can stay open and not Mm -hmm. be closing like they are closing now. Right. There are dozens of rural hospitals all over uh, the country that are closing. I want to see rural hospitals stay open. Sure. Four rural hospitals in my congressional district have closed in the last five or six years. I want to see these rural hospitals stay open because people in rural communities need these hospitals. I want to see community health care centers fully fund us to have 100% coverage of community health care centers. I want to see broadband fully funded so that we can have 100% coverage of broadband. Now, because of this coronavirus, my grandchildren are getting their education via the internet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What about those children that are not connected to the internet in these rural communities? They're going to be left behind for a whole year. I want to see stuff restructured so that my vision of making education accessible and affordable for all realized. I want to see healthcare accessible and affordable for all. So Mitch McConnell, uh misusing my vision, to assign his vision to it, just look at Kentucky and not just rule black people, in rural in Kentucky. One congressional district in Kentucky, uh, represented by uh, my good friend uh, Congressman Rogers, and he is a good friend, he has 24 districts, I mean, I'm sorry, 24 counties in his district. 22 of them are classified as persistent Poverty counted, and those are not black communities; those are white communities. So when I say restructuring uh, our system so that everybody can benefit, it's not just for black people; it's for rural white people as well. You go up to um, out to Alaska, you're talking about Native Americans. Uh, you go out to uh, New Mexico, you're talking about uh, basically uh, Latinos and Native Americans. You go out to Arizona; it's uh, Native Americans. You don't get the black people until you come to South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, North Carolina. So this is not just about black people. This is about low-income communities. This is about rural communities that have been left out of this process. So I want to say to Senator McConnell, that's what I was talking about, and I would hope that Amy McGrath is out there running against him now will pick up on this and make him answer to those rural people in uh, in Kentucky why he keeps leaving them out of these recovery packages that he's putting together for high-income Wall Street uh, corporate people and not taking care of those low-income communities in Kentucky.
1: So in terms of—and and I thank you for that explanation because—let me say this first of all. They were accusing you of politicizing the crisis, misinterpreting what you said um, when you've clearly explained it, and it makes perfect sense. It's not, and it and it's for everyone to be sure that that everyone is helped. Um, and more on that in a minute. But it seems to me they were the ones. You weren't doing anything exploitative. They were the ones exploiting your statement out of context. I mean, that's what it clearly looks like.
2: That's exactly what they were doing. Uh, and it's so interesting because I'm watching this TV this morning, and they used the term, it's time for us to restructure our health care delivery system. Right. That's all we're saying. The Affordable Care Act was an attempt to restructure the, the health system. And that's what we're trying to do with community health centers, restructure our, our health care delivery system. We know how expensive it is. We know it's not accessible or affordable by everybody. And it needs to be restructured. And any African-American or a low-income white person that disagrees with that must not know what their real plight in life is. And so right. I'm not going to ever back away from that well, because we all know that we have put in place a system that was structured and the foundation of which was Slavery, Jim Crow laws, and uneven, um, what I would call, uh, recovery uh, programs come out of these recessions. Every time we have a recession, we take care of the corporate community and leave others to fend for themselves. And that's what this is all about. We have a structure that was based upon free slave labor, unequal laws of Jim Crow, And we are saying uh, that um, we ought to put back in place things as they were before uh, the uh, the recession. No, we ought to take this as an opportunity to restructure things so we won't have low-income people suffering uh, when you come out of a recession. I'm not going to back away from that. I just hope. My constituents, I know my constituents understand it, <laughs> right? Uh, but I hope they will not allow themselves to be uh, taken in by Mitch McConnell. He's one of the best speech makers I know. He's a pretty, pretty slick dude, uh, uh, and uh, and a lot of people will believe that foolishness.
1: Well, and and not only is he slick and and spreading foolishness and falsehood, but so is the president, isn't he? Because you're talking about rural areas many of which are white many of it, many of which are closing hospitals because their governors won't expand medicaid when exactly hospitals right. are needed in this pandemic trump is trying to convince these very same people that the pandemic is only going to affect blue states he's even been saying red states we're going to open them back up i mean so he's misleading you talk you when you literally talking about they must not know their plight I would say they don't know it because Trump is is lying to them about their plate.
2: That's exactly right. And a lot of them are drinking the Kool-Aid. He's still stirring it up. And many of them are drinking it. And when this thing is all over, uh, all you got to do is look at what he said. When he signed this law, he put in place a law that would say to them, we are going to stand businesses back up, but we are not going to allow your children, and your friends, uh, to rip off $500 billion. We ain't talking about $500 million there now. $500 billion to stand businesses back up. And Trump is saying, I'm going to ignore any attempt, uh, of oversight on your part. Uh, and that simply means I plan when I come out of this presidency for my children and their children, uh, to be wealthy, more wealthy than they were when they went in, and I'm going to do it at your expense. And rather than getting programs down to Main Street so that you can get your restaurants back open, so you can get your uh, self-help uh, or, or stores uh, back open, uh, I'm going to rip this money off for my children and grandchildren operating uh, up here in New York for them uh, to be wealthy and you to stay where you are. So I'm going to ignore any attempt to make sure that you get this money and my children don't get it, mm-hmm. and, and and we're buying that. And that's exactly what this guy just said when he signs the law. We put in there that there's going to be oversight, that there's going to be an inspector general, and then none of this money can be used for your businesses. It is unconstitutional uh, for... Anybody to be benefiting, using the presidency, to benefit themselves, and we are quietly allowing this man to do it simply because he's feeding us Jim Crow uh, with a new flavor, and we are buying it.
1: So now in the bill and what you all put in, does that come as close as possible to the equity that you are arguing for and that was missing? Uh, after the depression,
2: in many instances it does. Not as much as I would like. I just sent a, a um, piece out to the Congressional Black Caucus, and I gladly share it with anybody. We put it on my web page. anybody who is interested in it, I ask them to visit uh, my my web page, and you can pull it down. and It's a piece on exactly what I'm talking about now, and I attach to it an article in Essence magazine Mm -hmm. uh, that is being published this month on how this uh, process that we just put in place, how it needs to be made to benefit rural communities, that whole piece, and it's got charts and everything to show exactly what is happening in rural communities. And I would hope uh, that uh, your listeners will go to my website, Pull it down. Uh, and all and it's entitled, This is Our Country Too.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's that, that's very, very important. Um, it, it goes without saying what what Trump has uh, done and not done in this crisis and how poor his response has been. Unfortunately, in this crisis, you know, we have to deal with a lot of things. There is a presidential election. You, um, Majority Whip, have played a significant role in that. Um, what is going to happen? I mean, people are afraid. People may not be as focused on voting, not to mention the census, as they should be. Wh- wh- what are your thoughts about that? Do you have concerns? Where are we on um, moving to mail-in ballots? Um, I mean, he, speaking of exploitation, he he could use this as an opportunity to continue to suppress the vote and steal the election.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And what I think that we need to do, uh, really, uh, is look at what we just did with this this bill. Now, one of the things we tried to do, we tried to get two billion dollars in this legislation in order to have mail all the ballots for everybody, going in you know, order to finish these primaries, and uh, to effectuate uh, the general election. The Republicans fought us on that. The Senate would not accept that. They came out with a program with $100 million. Well, we fought them on that. We finally come out of this uh, with uh, around uh, $400 million, which is only about 20% of what we really need. So here is my suggestion, and I'm going to talk to the Congressional Black Caucus on the conference call tomorrow about this. I suggest that we put in law that anybody over 55 years
0: of age
2: will get a mail or a ballot. If we don't do it for everybody, we'd ought to do it by the most high risk people. We say that if you're over 55 years or whatever the age is, uh, that make you most accessible uh, to uh, this uh, uh, virus, then let's say that anybody whose birthday has come on, whatever it is, that make you 55 years old, will receive in the mail a mail all ballot so you don't have to go out there standing in line and, and say if you're under 55, uh, then, uh, yeah, you have to have one of these other reasons for absentee. But if you're over 55, you ought to get your ballot in the mail and vote and, and, and have a date certain by which you ought to submit this so it can be counted on election day. And uh, we can say that the ballot must be postmarked at least seven days prior to Election Day. And you can put the date on it and just say that everybody, every voter in the country... Uh, that um, uh, is over 55 years old, ought to get a ballot in the mail.
1: That would be a piece of legislation, correct? That's what you're proposing? Is
2: That would be a piece of legislation, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, that we uh, uh, put that in this next— we could do another stimulus bill. Uh, yeah, we're going to
1: need one, uh, aren't
2: we? Or we, gonna, we need that recovery bill, uh, recovery bill. So we ought to have it so that whatever that Saturday or uh, Friday is, Uh, before uh, the 3rd, that you have to have a postmark by that day so that you can count these ballots starting on the 2nd uh, 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 of uh, November, which would be that Monday.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So in in such a piece of legislation, is there a reason we couldn't just include everyone, even those under the age of 55?
2: Yes, we could. Uh, that cost us about $2 billion, but I'm saying okay. if you put the money in there to do it, fine. But I think you can do what I just said using the $400 million that's already been uh, been appropriated. In this bill, it's $400 uh, million for this purpose. So if that, if we can't get the rest of the money, I'm saying you ought to use this $400 million to do what I just said. Yeah, if I we got can you can get the rest of it, Uh, up to two billion dollars, then we ought to do it for everybody.
1: Who who would who controls that money? Who would who would house in the
2: Senate? We got the bill that we just passed. It's got it in it. So we had two billion dollars in the House bill. The Senate refused to accept the House bill. So they put in four hundred million. And so we then agreed to the four hundred million. So what I'm saying is you need another one point six. A billion in order to do what I uh, just suggested Mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. So when we come back and do this new bill, which a lot of people think will be around July 1, let's put the rest of the money in there so that everybody uh, will have the ability uh, to mail in or whatever the stipulations are, uh, put it on there so they can come in uh, prior to the election day. Because I don't think now some. Jurisdictions, and I think this is really unfair to the American people to say that if your ballot is postmarked by election day, it must be counted. I think that's unfair to the American people because you know what happens two weeks after election day, you're still hanging in the ballot, people still counting the mail in ballots. I think the mail in ballots ought to be postmarked. Prior to Election Day, uh, giving the mail three or four days in order to get there so that you can start counting mail-in ballots, hopefully the day before Election Day, uh, that Monday, and hopefully get the rest of them counted uh, by the close of business on Tuesday.
1: Are you concerned about apathy uh, when it comes to voting in the midst of this crisis?
2: I'm not concerned about apathy this time. I'm more concerned about complacency. I don't think the uh, apathy is there. I think people are tuned in. I'm concerned about complacency that can come out of feeling of voter suppression and uh, of people just absolutely losing faith in the system. So that's... Is what I'm concerned about. Right. Uh, happiness means you don't care. Complacency means, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, I want people to feel that this election matters. Mm-hmm. And that's what bothers me. Uh, yeah, we're going to have an election, but what I do won't matter. No, I want everybody to feel that what you do will matter. Don't be complacent about this election. Let's do what's necessary. Because if we don't go out and vote, if we do not change the trajectory that this country is on. Uh, that moral uh, uh, our, uh, our universe uh, will not bend uh, toward justice. It will bend significantly toward injustice. Yeah, yeah.
1: Lastly, um, Majority Whip, um, it has been reported, rumored, that... You uh, are the person who will pretty much be one of the most significant influencers on whomever Joe Biden picks as his running mate. Is is that true? Have you advised him? Have you, in fact, said to him whom he should pick if you feel the liberty to disclose?
2: No, I have not had that conversation uh, with uh Uh, Vice President Biden, uh, I will not have that kind of a conversation uh, with the vice president. I've said to all of his friends and supporters who have asked, I will not play any role in who he picks as a running mate. I do not want to be on the committee. I don't want to be anywhere near the room where that decision is being made. I think that everybody should take into account what the Democratic Party is, and who we are as as Democrats, what this country is, and what we should reflect as Americans. And let's put that into play uh, when we're making these decisions. Uh, I don't think anybody needs any tutorial from me as to the history of this country, as to who and what uh, have been uh, the backbones of our party, and let's reflect that in our decisions going forward. Not just in who the vice president will pick might be, but let's do the same thing when we start talking about standing up a cabinet, uh, if he is successful mm-hmm. and about picking, uh, justices, mm-hmm. uh, to the Supreme Court and judges for the federal court. I'm finding that kind of amusing to me how uh, Trump can run for president of the United States Select a list and publish the list of people that he will select judges from before the election day. And then we come along saying it, 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 we ought not be having that kind of discussion. We better have that kind of discussion, because this Supreme Court uh, is going to be back to what it was in the 1860s. These judges are going to be back to what it was in the 1830s. If we Do not get a president in office in a system that allows judges and jurists is what we call uh, and justices is what we call the Supreme Court Uh, folks. We don't call them judges. We call them justices. So the justices, because I find it interesting, and I don't mind telling people, we got three women on the Supreme Court, and they're fine women. Mm -hmm. I like them all. Mm -hmm. Not a single one of them is black. And yeah. I think that, that is something they want to do about And I'm open about that. I'm not saying who, but I am saying what. Yeah, and that is where I stand.
1: Well, I think he heard, I mean, he said that, and you're right. If you go by the history, and you're one of our preeminent history teachers, if you go by the history and you take a quiz, then you know, you kind of have to know who you have to pick and who is underrepresented. Absolutely. And, and, and so while you have not maybe said it explicitly, I I think implicitly people have gotten the impression from your history class that he ought to pick a black woman.
2: Well, you know, I've said uh, this publicly. I think it ought to be a woman. I personally, being the father of three black women, I prefer a black woman. But that is my preference. That doesn't mean it has to be that. But to me, it has to be a woman. There are a lot of qualified white women uh, uh, who I like and respect, and I think there are equally qualified black women who I like and respect. So it has to be a woman. I prefer a black woman.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. As as always in your service to us, um, you always give us a history lesson, and what a powerful one in terms of what happened during the depression um, and learning from those lessons, um, you ought to, they ought to have a class that Mitch McConnell and others are required to attend in, in every year in terms of orientation. Cause it, what you said is not partisan. And there are a lot of people who are being hurt by this who look like them, who look like who are are Kentuckians, who, who, who are Trump supporters. And exactly um, right. and, you know, they have to be looked out for as well and not not lied to. I don't know how you tell people, frankly, well, y'all just may need to die to help the economy. That's what they've been. The, the lieutenant governor of Texas said that
2: that's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said.
1: So. So, so that
2: is that is by as close to playing God, as anything that I've seen in our governmental process. Uh, and, and that's the kind of that these people will say anything as outlandish as that is, you know, to keep you focused on something other than what they're really doing. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The majority whip folks, James Claburn. Thank you as always, sir.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
1: All right. And we'll talk again. Look
2: forward to seeing you soon. Yes, sir. Okay.
1: Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, subscribe to Make It Plain and Get Woke daily. Check out MakeItPlain.com to subscribe. If all minds are clear, it has been...